Welcome to Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts. We are ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. Every episode, we invite people working in a variety of different fields related to aging and hear their stories. Tune in. Either you're considering a career in aging, or want to learn more about aging fields, or simply want to listen to a stimulating conversation, you will find something you like. Find Voices of Aging on the iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Madeline with the Voices of Aging podcast. Today, our guest is Zach Parlier. Zach is the Director of Team Development at English Rose, which is a residential care facility specializing in memory care. Zach started his caregiving career at the age of 16 as a CNA at one of Mayo's memory care facilities. He was selected to a special committee to work with individuals with memory loss with Hearthstone in Boston, Massachusetts. Zach is a dementia educator. Hi, Zach. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Madeline. Let's just start with quick background for you. I know I kind of gave you a brief introduction, but if you could expand on that a little bit, that would be great. Certainly. Yeah. I started caregiving, I think like a lot of people do, where I was caring for my grandfather. Um, Alzheimer's affected my family at a very young age. Um, I was 12 when my grandpa moved in with my family. And I was 14 by the time I was his primary caregiver with my mother. And so I'd, I'd been around Alzheimer's for a very long time. And at 16, I decided I wanted to share what I considered something I, I really enjoyed doing, which was caregiving with other people. Um, and so I started working at a small town nursing home in high school and then eventually found my way to Mayo Clinic there in Rochester and worked there for a number of years. And had several opportunities to partner with the Alzheimer's research there, um, and then found my way to Edina, Minnesota, where I'm working currently at English Rose. And just it, as far as memory care goes, it's everything that I thought me- or caregiving could be, everything that I thought memory care could be. It was the kind of care that we provided for my grandfather um, in my parents' home. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now, and yeah, caregiving for a very long time. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. And I know um, English Rose has residential homes for individuals with memory loss. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that differs from memory care, like other memory care housing options? Mm -hmm. So it's it's a great alternative to a more clinical setting of memory care. Um, It's exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, single family homes that house individuals living with memory loss or dementia. We have six residents in each of our homes that are cared for by two caregivers at a time. And it just creates this uh, normalcy. I think that's a word that's really overused in our industry, but they're being cared for in actual homes. And so when you have someone who is um, confused or someone who's wandering around, it doesn't have that clinical feeling where there are long hallways, you know, those bright lights. It's much more homey and it's 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 a home. What is unique about 
the English Rose approach? I know you're kind of touching on this a little bit, but what mm-hmm. makes it um, special and, and different? Yeah, I would say two things. Uh, one would be our ratio of caregiver to resident. Um, we have one caregiver to three residents, which is really, really ideal when it comes to memory care, um, especially with, I know we're going to talk a little bit about well-being and what our well-being model looks like, but to be able to care for the entire person rather than just provide these physical needs to your clients and residents, um, you need to have time to do that. And rather than when I was caregiving years ago and had anywhere from you know 15 to 20 residents that I was caring for at a time, you didn't have time to do the things that are so important to taking care of an individual, you know, taking the time to have conversation, taking the time to let them know what you're doing with them um, when it comes to care and other uh, things that you might be helping them with throughout the day. So that ratio is so important and familiarity would be the other uh, piece where it's the same caregiver that they're seeing day to day. We have caregiving teams um, assigned to each of our homes where you know, if you're working full time, you're seeing the same residents five to six times a week for those shifts. So that familiarity is huge because you might not you know who the name of the caregiver that's caring for you, but you know them and you know that they're familiar to you and you know that they make you feel good um, and they're there to help you. So it just instead of feeling like there are different people coming in every single day and having no idea you know, who they are or or any relationship or anything like that with them, um, that familiarity is a huge piece. The other piece would definitely be our approach towards antipsychotic medications. Um, We have a very holistic approach. And I think that we don't like to use what we call in our dementia training, the B word, um, which would be behaviors. That's something that is, is used heavily in our field. We believe that these behaviors are expressions and that it's a form of communication due to Um, the dementia that they might be living with. And so our approach to those challenging behaviors is it's very holistic. It's to really not only anticipate those things that may or may not happen as the result of anxiety leading to agitation, but our approach is extremely holistic in that uh, we use aromatherapies, we use um, exercise, we really try to curb the use of antipsychotic drugs Um, And we found that we can do that very successfully through not only that ratio of one to three caregivers or one to three residents to caregivers, but also just the smallness and and being able to manage our environment and prevent overstimulation. Um, So it's a very holistic approach to memory care that that we believe is very successful. Yeah, that's great to hear because I know there's been a lot of talk and, you know, articles written about on that topic of the kind of the overuse of antipsychotics. So that's, you know, wonderful to hear. And then I think, you know, that that leads us in perfectly. If you could speak more about the well-being model and kind of expand on the different components of that. Absolutely. So when it comes to well-being in a traditional model of care, uh, we have found that physical well-being is, is always focused heavily upon, and that would be you know cleaning someone up in the bathroom or making sure that nutrition and hydration is prioritized, making sure that exercise is happening. It's that very physical, medical model of care that is really the norm within our industry, and we view people as individuals to be very complex and to be much more than just a physical organism. Um, And so we've developed this well-being model that that really speaks to the entire person. 
Um, it really speaks to who that person has been their entire life, who that person is currently, and it can adapt and change as that person develops and, and continues to decline within their disease. Um, and so we, we've developed this model. There are five components to well-being, we believe. Um, and physical well-being is one of those components. We know that physical well-being is very important and safety and security, it's something that we still prioritize. But again, we view it as being a piece of well-being, not the end-all, be-all. Um, and those other components that we really implement in our residents' day-to-day -day lives would be intellectual well-being, which would be to challenge the minds of our residents. And, and that seems like such a a silly word for someone living with Alzheimer's that we want to challenge them. I know a lot of dementia training, you know, it, it rightfully will tell you, you want to ask questions that are simple. You want to give them yes or no answers. You want to really simplify your communication. But to challenge the brain of someone with memory loss would be to dig through their past and find things that they were passionate about and to have discussion about them and to really surprise them when how much they remember about that specific subject. If it's, you know, that long-term memory, it's something that they've done for their entire lives. Um, we have a math teacher, a retired math teacher as one of our residents, and she can still do multiplication tables. And it's always so fun to see how surprised she is when she gets into those, you know, 11s and 12s tables that uh, I can't even remember. She, she really enjoys stimulating her mind in that way. You know, it's those topics of interest, it's lifelong learning, and, and they might not be able to remember the information that you are discussing at lunchtime, but in the moment, that, that's what it's all about, right? It's about making that moment special and exciting, and it's reading about silly things, and it's, it's finding, again, those topics of interest, but also learning new things, learning bizarre, odd things, and, and it, it's fun in that way. Um, another component of well-being that we teach about is purpose, and it's that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of contribution. We care for a lot of individuals who ran households and had many children, and now they would be expected in a lot of clinical environments just to sit all day and, and you know participate in a few activities and watch the Andy Griffith show. Um, that's not in their DNA. They Their entire lives were busy and constantly accomplishing tasks and picking kids up from school and going to meetings, and they were busy people. We really try to implement um, the inclusion of our residents, helping with meals, helping with laundry, helping with household tasks, asking questions. We have a financial advisor in one of our homes who our caregivers are talking to him about 401ks and should I do a Roth or not? It, it gives them that sense of contribution, that sense of I'm helping someone. And it's something that can still happen for those individuals, even far into their disease, to still feel that sense of purpose. To share a quick little story, I, I remember a resident who was moving into our environment from a nursing home. And her daughter was just in tears the night that she moved in because her mom sitting at the dinner table, we practice family style dining. All of our residents will sit around the table with our caregivers and have conversation. And we try to have that, uh, you know, we try to replicate um, a family dinner. And this individual gets up, she takes her plate, she takes her silverware, puts her plate on her walker, walks into the kitchen and rolls up her sleeves and starts to do dishes and that was something that you know she would do at home something that was so normal that she hadn't done in the years leading up to her time at english rose because she never was expected to she never was invited to help with dishes she never was invited to help prepare a meal and that's something that was very important to her 
purpose is that feeling of dusting your hands off like you accomplished something um, and that you're, again, contributing to, to whatever's happening. Another component of well-being is social well-being, and that one's pretty obvious, right? It's those relationships that you have with your housemates, with your family, with friends who are coming to visit you. And we really expect our caregivers to build genuine relationships with our residents to really, again, get to know who they were, who they are and who they're going to become, but really open up to them in an appropriate way um, about your personal life and about the things that are happening and, and the similarities that you may have with them to build those genuine relationships and bonds with the people you're caring for, because it goes such a long way when it comes to trust, when it comes to helping someone navigate through those challenging behaviors or delusion, hallucinations, whatever it is. If you have a relationship with that individual and there's trust present, you're going to be much more successful in, in get, helping them navigate through those things. It's very much a neighborhood environment where our residents, again, they might not know one another's names. In some capacities, we have residents who are early in a disease process that they know one another by name. They meet at nine in the morning and read the newspaper. They'll read books together. It's a very inclusive and welcoming environment that social well-being is really a possibility. And then lastly, and I think everyone, you know, well-being is an individualized experience. So I, I can say I think this is the most important, but maybe it's the most important to me. Um, and that would be spiritual well-being. And a lot of people, when they hear that word spiritual, their mind instantly goes to religion, right? And, and while religion and a faith background and ethics, morals, those are part of spiritual well-being, sure. But we're looking at spiritual well-being as those things that really, truly energize you those things that really speak to you as an individual and preferences and things that, again, energize you is the word I continue to use. Um, music, art, animals, being around uh, dogs, cats, ending pet therapy, sensory exploration, using a, essential oils, and then nature is a huge component of spiritual well-being. Um, most people in our dementia training, we go through this exercise where we talk about what this well-being model looks like for each of us because again it's an individualized experience we're all like snowflakes we're all different it's amazing how many people when when they really sit down and think about those things that really energize them that bring them a sense of peace nature is on their list and fresh air vitamin d being by the beach being by the lake being outside in the sunshine um and, and that's something that we can accomplish in our environment for our residents where if there's someone who loved to sit out in the sun, if there's someone who loved to go for a daily walk, those are things that are going to be built right into their care plan that they're able to do every single day. One last quick story for you. I, I tell a lot of stories in our training, so forgive me. But one of my first days at English Rose, I, I walked up to one of our homes and there was a woman sitting in, in the back of the house on a back porch and she was wearing, you know, uh, volleyball shorts or biker shorts and had them hiked uncomfortably up. This was a, a very, um, an elderly woman. It was, it was shocking to see her shorts pulled up very tight or high. She had her um, tank top tucked into her bra and she was sitting in the sun and just taking in that sun. And it was it was, a, again, kind of a shocking thing to see out of context, but in that moment, that was her well-being, to sit in the sunshine. This was a woman living with kidney failure and, and uh, memory loss as well, and that was something that she did every single day, was sit outside in the sun, drink it in, and, and have that sense of, again, spiritual well-being. So yes, that's our model for well-being. It, it, it's 
simple. It's also extremely nuanced um, and it's different for every single individual. Wow, Zach, um, many of the stories that you told are so inspiring and, and made me smile. And I think that's really the key. You want to be able to to smile when you're thinking about the experiences that your residents are having. Yeah, that's just incredible. And I would love to know more about the training that your staff receives. So if someone is hired as a caregiver, what happens to make sure that they can be successful with your residents? In a word, I think intentional comes to mind. Our training is extremely intentional. Um, You know, an, an unfortunate part of our industry that I saw for many years working in nursing homes as a CNA is that if you're a CNA, um, you know, you've been certified, the expectation is you know how to be a caregiver. And so training is often minimal. You have the dementia training, you have the nursing training that is required by license, but often it is done through, you know, videos, uh, a series of videos. There's not a lot of accountability. You can kind of click through them. You can be on your phone. It's not very intentional. And our training is all in person. Our caregivers experience 24 hours in a classroom with our nurses, with our human resources department, with our quality of life director going over engagement and aromatherapy, and then myself uh, completing the eight hours of dementia training. So everything is in person. Everything is intentional. And I think that we just make it very clear early on in their tenure with us that we take this very seriously. This is not the kind of caregiving job that you can um, just be in pursuit of a paycheck. You are expected to care for our residents um, at our standard, which is everything kind of that we've been talking about when it comes to making sure that well-being happens for our residents. You're not just caring for, you know, that physical body. Your job is to make sure that they're experiencing that full model of well-being. So our training, again, it's very intentional. Classroom training, 24 hours. Um, from there, they're they're getting multiple shifts with our trainers. Our trainers are trained specially um, to train. They're not just caregivers that happen to be working the day that you're training. They're caregivers that we're pairing you up with that have been through leadership training, that have been through advanced dementia training from what our, our original version of dementia training is. It's very intentional. And we're not teaching people how to make sandwiches. We're teaching people how to care for those individuals in a way that is much more than that physical well-being. As we wrap up here, if anyone listening is considering uh, different residential care facilities for perhaps a loved one or thinking about um, a facility for themselves in the future, when is it time to consider that residential care? When is it time to kind of make that jump? Great question. I like to say I don't think it's ever too early. I don't think it can ever be too late, but I, I, I feel as though the earlier the better when it comes to any type of move into a care setting. If you can, if you're, if you're struggling with memory loss, if you're, you're dealing with an Alzheimer's or another dementia, if you can move into an environment um, while you still are capable of, of really adapting and adjusting to that environment, um, we, we know that it goes very smoothly and you, you can benefit from that sense of community at a higher level. You can really benefit from those relationships that you'll have with caregivers and other clients and residents. But at the same time, again, I don't think it can be too late. We can adapt and change no matter the client, no matter the resident. But, but I definitely think that it, it can take the stress away. It can take the crisis away 
when you're able to move in, um, when you're able to consider, you know, options earlier rather than later. I think a lot of times in a lot of places, not just at English Rose, not just in residential memory care, a lot of times people are in crisis and have to get someone placed right away. Um, it's really important to know your options, to know what you want, to know everyone would love to age in place and in a perfect world that would be possible. But this is a, a tricky, it's a challenging, challenging disease. And we feel at English Rose that you know we have the tools to be able to care for anyone and everyone. And if you can, again, make that decision when you're not in crisis and you can prepare for that transition into a care environment, um, I would say the sooner the better. Thank you so much, Zach. This has been wonderful. If any listeners are wanting to learn more, um, should they go to the English Rose website? Is that what you would recommend? That's what I would recommend, yes. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks again, Zach. This has been great. Thanks, Madeline. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by ASIC, the Aging Studies Interdisciplinary Group at the University of Minnesota. We are a collaborative networking group for students studying aging across the university. Stay tuned for the next episodes of Voices of Aging, where you learn more about aging through experts.